0: Welcome to Know Where to Run with Christopher White. Chris in Tennessee, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey
1: everybody, what's up? Welcome to Know Where to Run. My name is Chris. Thanks for showing up, downloading the show, tuning in, whatever. I'm happy that you're here. And if you've got any questions for me, don't hesitate to write. The best way to get a hold of me is through the website, which is NowhereToRunRadio.com, and hitting the contact button. There's a contact form, and there's also my email address there, and that's really the best way to get a hold of me. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, yada, yada, so you can find all that stuff from the website, sign up to the email list, etc., also, if you go to the website there, NowhereToRunRadio.com, you'll see at the very top a banner that says something like Christianity 101, click here for your free DVD copy or whatever. I mentioned this the last show. Basically, it's a uh, data disc. It's a DVD, but it's got four gigs of material. I added some since last time, so it's got the maximum amount of information you can put on one DVD. Uh, audio, video, text stuff, uh, all basically... Can get you from zero to sort of advanced Christianity, and uh, you can copy this stuff onto your computer's hard drive. It works like a flash drive, so you can copy it to a smartphone if you want to, or an MP3 player. Just all kinds of material, and I really, really want to send this out to you, especially for new Christians. Uh, I don't—I'll send it out to anybody, but new Christians is what it's—it's it's made for. Especially if you are new in the past, you know, year or two or whatnot, or anybody that wants to know this stuff, that's in, wants to to learn. The idea is to, as it says in the book of Matthew, to make disciples all, of all men, and it's really an important process to to do that. It's kind of like, especially in this crazy false teacher world that we live in, especially a lot of us coming from the New Age or the various sort of deceptions that are out there. It's really important for us too because you know false teachers exist because well they're good at what they do you know I mean they they use truth and they uh, can get you into all kinds of false stuff especially as I mentioned this in a podcast called um, Beware the Legalists but especially for new believers I mean they are like, you're sitting ducks for all kinds of false teaching I mean Satan's like okay I lost the war but I am going to win some battles. And you start to get just inundated with all kinds of stuff because you are unable to really refute it or deal with it. You don't know enough of the Bible to say, well, that's not biblical at all. So people can cherry-pick verses and give you little studies out of context and convince you of any number of things, and they do. And, I mean, there's just it's just a real difficult time. Thankfully... Uh, Although that happens 99% of the time, uh, almost 99% of those people, uh, 99% of the 99% are not generally sucked into it. Eh, maybe 90%. So anyway, this is for you. Please go to the website, click that banner, it'll take you to a little form, just fill it out, and I'll send you this uh, DVD. Specifically and especially for people that have came to know the Lord, maybe I planted a seed, watered a seed whatever, through this ministry or through anything that I've done, I especially want to send it to you. So please, if that's you, go to the website, click the banner, fill out the form. Let me send you this DVD. Okay, so moving on. Okay, it's been a little while since the last show. I was out of town for a week uh, in Alabama with the in-laws. It was good times. Able to still do a lot of work, get a lot of emails done, work on some stuff and projects that I've been wanting to do. Uh, I got one project out while I was there. It was... A, just a short video about why we should read the Bible, just in a video format. I'm gonna play the audio here in just a second, but it's really better to see the video because I think when you just listen to the audio, it's kinda of hard to parse where the scripture ends and the quotes begin and where I'm saying what I'm saying uh is, is separated. I mean, it's all good information, but it, it, it helps to see it visually, I think. So go to the website, check out the video, or go to the YouTube channel. But nevertheless, I'm going to play the audio here in a minute. I got the idea when I was doing some research for Hebrews chapter 4, which is what we're going through in verse-by-verse, verse, uh, BibleTeaching.com with Mike Tater. So I was working on that, and... um I saw this cool thing that David Guzik had done in his Hebrew for commentary and he basically was just showing of all the, all the things that the Bible does for us and he made some quotes there and then he also uh, uh, provided some scripture references so I basically used that as a template and then uh, added some additional scripture references added some additional points and then added also some uh, um, um, quotes from other people about the Bible and just sort of ordered them all together and put it into audio and then made a video out of it. So here is this. It takes, I think it's like 10 minutes or something like that. It could be wrong, but I'll play this and then I'll be back on the other side. God's word imparts life to us. It is a continual source of life for us. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4, verse 4. I will never forget your precepts, For by them you have given me life. Psalm 119, verse 93. The Bible is as necessary to spiritual life as breath is to natural life. There is nothing more essential to our lives than the word of God. Jack Hayford God's word brings true health, fruitfulness, and success to the things that we do. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God's word is cleansing. If we take heed according to God's word, our way will be cleansed. Psalm 119, verse 9 and 10 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. John Oghay said, God brings men into deep waters, not to drown them, but to cleanse them. Hearing God's word builds faith in us. Romans 10 verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you wish to know God, you must know his word. If you wish to perceive his power, you must see how he worketh by his word. If you wish to know his purpose before it is actually brought to pass, you can only discover it by his word. Charles Spurgeon. The word of God, when hidden in our hearts, keeps us from sin. Psalm one hundred and nineteen verse eleven says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Proverbs seven verses one through five says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, You are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin that they may keep you from the immoral woman from the seductress who flatters with her words D.L. Moody said sin will keep you from this book this book will keep you from sin the devil himself cannot invent a temptation which is not met in these pages and all the devils in hell together, if they were to hold parliament and to call in the aid of all bad men, could not invent a device which is not met by this matchless library of truth. Charles Spurgeon God's word is our counselor. As we delight in God's word, it becomes a rich source of counsel and guidance for us. Psalm 119 verse 24 says, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. The word of God will stand a thousand readings, and he who has gone over it most frequently is the surest of finding new wonders there. J. Hamilton God's word is a source of strength. Psalm 119 verse 28 says, My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not lack of intelligence or lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. R.C. Sproul God's Word is a source of light and guidance to us. When God's Word comes in, so does light. It makes the simple, wise, and understanding Psalm 119, verses 104 and 5 say, "...through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path." Verse 130 says, "...the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple." Leonard Ravenhill said, "...men give advice. God gives guidance. God's word is a means to sanctification." John 17, 17 says, "...sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It was God's word that made us. Is it any wonder that his word should sustain us?" Charles Spurgeon "...God's word gives peace to those who love it. They are secure, standing in a safe place." Psalm 119, 165 says, "...great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble." Horace Greenley said, It is impossible to enslave mentally or socially a Bible reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom. When the word of God is heard and understood, it bears fruit. Matthew thirteen verse twenty three says that he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Other books were given for information. The Bible was given for a transformation, the Defender. Hearing God's word is essential to eternal life. You cannot pass from death into life unless you have heard the word of God. John 5 verse 24 says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. James 1 verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. No one ever says at the end of his days, I have read my Bible too much. I have thought of God too much. I have prayed too much. I have been too careful with my soul. J.C. Ryle Abiding in and living in God's word is evidence of true discipleship. John 8, verse 30-32 says, As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Sir Walter Scott said, The most learned, acute, and diligent student cannot, in the longest life, obtain an entire knowledge of the Bible. The more deeply he works the mind, the richer and the more abundant he finds the ore. The faithful handling of the word of God gives the ministers of the word a clear conscience. They know that they have done all that they can do before God. Second Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The word of God works effectively in those who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The Bible. Banned, burned, beloved. More widely read, more frequently attacked than any other book in history. Generations of intellectuals have attempted to discredit it. Dictators of every age have outlawed it and executed those who read it. Yet soldiers carry it into battle, believing it more powerful than their weapons. Fragments of it smuggled into solitary prison cells have transformed ruthless killers into gentle saints. Charles Coulson The word of God sanctifies the very food that we eat. 1 Timothy 4 verses 4 and 5 says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. The word of God is not dead. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God can probe us like a surgeon's expert scalpel, cutting away what needs to be cut and keeping what needs to be kept. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Professor M. Montecro said, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. The Word of God is our sword of the Spirit. It is our equipment for spiritual battle, especially in the idea of an offensive weapon. Ephesians 6 verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word of God comes with power from the Holy Spirit unto salvation. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. 1 Thessalonians 1 through 5 says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The word of God is our source of growth. 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. All right, there you go. And again, you can watch that video on the YouTube page or on this show's uh, post on the website, which will be 6:15, 2011, and you'll find it there. So, anyway, I just noticed there's an echo on that too. That's because I recorded that in uh, a locked bathroom there when I was visiting the in-laws. So uh, that's what's up with that. And you know, about reading the Bible, it's so important, and I think that that video and audio illustrates that. But one thing that I've noticed recently is I've just received this uh this thirst for the word, and it's so seamless now for me to read you know chapters and chapters and not think anything of it whereas before I'd be like struggling to read one chapter and fighting falling asleep even in the middle of the day you know, and just couldn't really read it now all of a sudden have been it's almost like have been granted this uh this thirst and and it's something that you can pray for and it's something that i have prayed for for a very consistent amount of time and it seems like it has been granted so so just continue to do that it, thirst for the word is a spiritual thing it's really interesting this testimony that i'm about to talk about daniel's testimony he, he you know he he said you know right before he was saved and this guy was trying to talk to him about uh christianity and everything he he tried to read the Bible, but he couldn't. It was completely made no sense to him. Like trying to read Matthew made absolutely no sense to him. Like it, just like it was a foreign language or something. It just didn't sink in. But after he became saved, he he couldn't stop reading it. It was like two hours a day. He 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 tells a part of his testimony where he's like, um, the preacher that he was at at this church was talking about the importance of reading the Bible, and he looked over to his mom who was a Christian and was like, "What is he talking about? Do, do, do Christians have trouble reading the Bible?" I mean couldn't believe that uh that there was that christians had trouble reading the bible because as new believers often are given a spiritual uh desire for the word um to as that last part says uh, the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby and that is what we need uh, to grow uh, through the scriptures and as i was reading the Bible after that all this other stuff jumped out of reasons why we should read the Bible it was like man I needed to add some more stuff to that because there's just the Bible's filled with reasons to read itself and blessings uh, for reading it so anyway I, uh, I encourage in, in the notes of that video I encourage people to to read the Bible I usually say to people start with the New Testament and the reason i say that is because if you understand who jesus is you're going to understand the old testament when you get to it i do encourage people to just read through and understand the new testament because when you go back to the old testament you're going to get a lot more out of the old testament and so you know i say read the gospels some of my favorite books ephesians the book of romans first and second peter i mean they're all they're all good and uh, so so i encourage people to check that out also, the testimony that I just mentioned of Daniel, please check that out. It's on RRN Weekly, which is a new addition to the Revelations Radio Network. And I thought about putting it, putting it on the Nowhere to Run feed, but it was just such a perfect fit for the Revelations Radio Network weekly uh, podcast where I'm putting testimonies and stuff. And if you are not subscribed to the Revelations Radio Network feed, check it out uh that's the only place you can get RRn weekly but i i will put the particular episode of RRn weekly on my show notes on my website it's called Daniel's journey i believe is what i call that so check that out either on the front page of revelations radio network or in the show notes of this episode 615 2011 um, but anyway it's it's the story of Daniel who has a really similar story to i'm sure a lot of us grew up in the culture of you know, drugs and, and all the stuff that's just very common in, in our society today became a Christian and then sort of got disillusioned by the truth movement and all the new age stuff that goes along with it and, uh, just sort of his journey out of that. And I think it sounds really, really similar to, uh, a lot of our, our journeys. So check it out, especially maybe even if you are not a Christian, but you're sort of, you know, you're, you're sort of Kind of halfway thinking about a lot of what, you know, what's this all about and stuff. Check that testimony out. And again, you can do that on the front page of Revelations Radio Network or the show notes of this episode. Okay. So that is that. And I want to also talk about the conference that I just attended. Um, human sex trafficking in America was the name of the conference, I think. And it was about basically that. And I know that sex trafficking sounds a lot like Okay, uh people getting kidnapped and and sold into um slavery type thing, and while that is a part of it the the particular thing that this conference was about and what the majority of the stuff going on in America is, or at least uh one of the most visible parts of it is the the plight, if you will, of the prostitute and and that that culture that they're wrapped in and how much bondage it is and how hard it is for them to come out of that and and you know i was particularly interested in the the culture of the pimp which is something that we of course glorify to no end um there was so much about the the mindset of the pimp the the training that they get the books and stuff and and, and it was so calculated and so cold it was recognizing that most of these runaways are coming from abusive families that's why they ran away they may not have had any intention to become a prostitute or anything but they were met at a bus stop by a guy who uh, you know sold them a dream gave you know gave them what they uh, were lacking and, and the interesting thing about the the pimp situation is that they were trained to to recognize those things you know saying well well different girls will have different sort of things that they're missing you have to provide that and then you know you can begin the sort of uh, the process of breaking them down. And it was like a cult. I mean, they're, s- s- it's the same pattern as uh, somebody love bombing somebody into a cult and the bondage and the beatings and the drugs that then they use all as tools to keep them in. It's just, it's just awful. And it, it's so hard for a prostitute to leave prostitution for a million different reasons and they are it's like satan is all over that i mean there's threats of their you know their children are going to be hurt or they're going to be hurt that's probably one of the most common things you know that pimp's do is is the types of training that they that they beat them and, and anyway it's a big mess the culture of the pimp was so repulsive to me that we glorify that because to read what they are saying about how to create this this product based on destroying everything uh you know emotionally and capitalize on capitalizing on hurt and the things as simple as you know how to go look for them they're going to be at bus stations they're going to be this they're going to be that places to go find runaways and things but that's only part of the problem. That happens to be one of the biggest issues here in America. But there is a huge section of this that is kind of the the people that are uh, uh, kidnapped and, and forced to go into uh, genuine slavery. And then sort of the same, same things happen at that point. But I'm going to let this uh, wonderful lady named Colette, she's going to, she, this is an interview that was done, and she's going to explain it. It takes about 10 minutes it's a really good education on this whole thing. She does a really good job. I spent a long time going through the different websites and the different people that I was introduced to over this, uh, the weekend conference there trying to find a good explanation. And I think that she does the best job. She is a really, just a really great spokesperson and she's doing great work with her website free for life international, which focuses a lot on the international side of it. Um, she actually lives in Franklin, which is just South of Nashville. And she, uh, Uh, I've been introduced to her work before through Mike Tater. Um, But anyway, so I'm going to play this, and then I'll talk to you on the other side.
0: Human trafficking is uh, the force, fraud, or coercion of an individual um, into a sex act or to sell them into sexual slavery or debt bondage or, um, slavery for labor. We primarily in our ministry deal with sexual bondage, but we do also deal with labor trafficking as well. In the United States of America, if you are under the age of 18 and you are being used in a way that somebody is gaining financially, um, off of your sexual exploitation, you are automatically a traffic victim in this country. The words child prostitute in the United States States of America are an oxymoron there is no such thing as a child prostitute in this country there are children that are being prostituted very very different because one of the things that I think that people are under the misconception of is that if you are being prostituted that we automatically think that that person is somehow complicit in the act And that they are getting some sort of benefit from it. They're getting some sort of payoff for it. I read an article in the newspaper the other day that was like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. And they were saying that the oldest profession is alive and well. This is not a profession. Prostitution is not a profession. It is something that is being perpetuated. And people that are broken are being sold and our young men and young women that are selling people um, are also trapped in bondage at the same time. Well, in the United States of America, the State Department puts out a number that there is between fifteen and 20,000 people that are supposedly trafficked across international borders every year. Um, a lot of us believe that that number in itself is very low. But we never talk about the number of our own children that are being prostituted or sexually exploited on our very own streets, in houses. Um, that number is the Justice Department puts out a number that there are approximately, and numbers are always estimates at best, um... between 100 and hundred and three hundred thousand children that are at risk for sexual exploitation every year in the united states of america basically you're talking about children and i think that that is one of the things that people really have to keep in their mind when you're talking about um... you know children that are being prostituted not just other people that are being trafficking but let's say you're talking about specifically people that are under the age of eighteen well Children are very easily manipulated. They're very easily lured. A lot of these children come from uh, a sexual um, abuse in, in their backgrounds. They could come from broken homes. People that are, are interested in pedophilia and, and different things like that, they know what to look for. So traffickers know what to look for in the luring of a child or the luring of, of a young woman into the world of trafficking. Um, they might initially, in this country, what you hear a lot of times, is now uh, the young women will say, this is my boyfriend. They don't refer to him as maybe somebody who is pimping them. This is their boyfriend. So this young girl now is confused. She thinks that, well, how can this person say that they love me, but they're also selling me? And there's a lot of confusion that is involved in then being sexually exploited. The promise of, of love, I think, is, is at the base of all of this, is a child that might be broken, or a young woman that might be broken, or the, the promise of a job for somebody that is, uh, in poverty. There was a case, in the united states here that i can talk about because it was publicized and this young girl was from mexico she was thirteen years old and she was uh, approached by somebody who said, there is a job for you in a restaurant. Come and, and work and, and be able to send money back to your family that I know they desperately need. Well, when she got here, the United States, there was no job. Um, and that very first day, this 13-year-old child was forced to be with um, 30 men that very first day. Um, and that was her existence for the next two years of her life until she was rescued. There are an estimated 27 million people that are being sold into slavery right now at this moment as I'm sitting here talking. And if you think that those 27 million people, when they are reintegrated back into society, will not raise another generation of people, that that is their identity, we're fooling ourselves. So we are sowing this generation upon generation upon generation. And because the culture of India, there is a lot of men that visit prostitutes that uh, think that it is uh, part of your cultural right. They don't even consider it as adultery. Um, that it becomes perpetuated in that society. And that is why India, I believe, is one of the the largest places where children and young women are being sold into servitude. United States is one of the top ten destination places in 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 the world, and I think people are astounded to hear that because, like um, we were talking about, is that people were saying um, that this is not a problem here in the United States, this is a problem that goes on around uh, Across the, the, the globe, not here though. But other countries, you'll find that the Eastern Bloc, because of poverty and, uh, lack of opportunity, lack of education, uh, countries like Moldova, Russia, um, Romania, these countries are hotbeds for their young women and, um, uh, and children to be lured into trafficking. Interpol put out a number recently that says there are approximately 30,000 young women missing from Romania right now. That's astronomical to me. I think to myself when you, when you think of a number that they estimate there are 13 million children, which that is under the age of 18 being sold into slavery right now at this moment. I think to myself, how is there not a cry from humanity going out around the world. How do you miss 13 million children that nobody is caring enough to be able to jump on board this epidemic? There is law enforcement that is um, perpetuating this here even in the United States. How you work around that is you build bridges with people that you know you can trust to be able to work with district attorneys, to be able to get the largest sentences that you possibly can for um, people when they are arrested and that the public just doesn't stand for it anymore. I think that that is one of the things, is that the public really needs to get on board this epidemic like they did with the AIDS epidemic. All of the sudden, you heard so much about it and people were throwing so much money after it, but you have to remember that this is organized crime. At its finest, this is the fastest-growing criminal enterprise in the entire world, and there is an estimated $34 billion being pulled down by criminals every single year off the buying and selling of human beings. This is big business. And unless we throw that same kind of money from the public at this problem, then we are going to be very, very hard pressed to be able to uh, get a handle on this. George Bush did enact a law in 2006 um, against trafficking, but having a law on the books sometimes is not Enough, people have to force law enforcement to be on the lookout for it in our state, where I am right now in Tennessee. We literally just had a a law put on the books two weeks ago. Um, there is not a law against the selling of human beings in every single state in the United States, and that is that is like mind-boggling. You would think that that would be one of the first things that you would have sat down and and written, buying and selling of people against the law. But that's not the truth. There was a young woman, and she gave an interview, um, and she said, the very first day with the very first person that raped her, that was the day her God died and that really is the core of this that is what happens to you at your soul is that this is so contrary to what should be done to you, what should um, basically be who God created you to be, that you can't even wrap your mind around the fact that there is a, a creator in the world that, that called you to be something else. It's the core of your identity, who you are now. There is shame embroiled in it. Most of these victims will be HIV positive. There is uh, physical abuse. There is torture. There is um, mental abuse. You are broken at the very core of who you are as a human being and what I think that people don't understand and what we really work to talk to people about is that there is a lot of documentaries there is a lot of of film projects that are done that show the rescue of trafficking victims but there is very very little that is shown about the cost of what this is to a human being and the extent that it takes and the time that it takes to be able to be restored and to come back from something like this. I know from being an abuse victim myself um, what it took for me to be able to be whole and walk in freedom from it. I cannot imagine what it would take to come back from being raped 30 times a day, maybe for the next three to four years of your life. We believe that um, without Christ in this equation, all of the best psychologists in the world will never bring somebody to complete wholeness and so it is not a prerequisite for us and who we work with but the most successful people that are working with these victims are christians and they bring the love of christ into whatever it is that they do the compassion of christ the wholeness the identity that christ would want you to to have and they they have had thousands of young women be restored and go on to productive lives, be great mothers um, to their children that they will have because they now have wholeness. They now have a future and a hope that God intended for them to have in in the first place. I'm the founder of a ministry called Free for Life Ministries. What we found out is that there are um, safe houses and shelters in every single country in the world, but most of those shelters are living literally hand-to-mouth. They, Some of them can't feed their children and young women three times a day because there isn't enough finances to be able to do that. They aren't able to buy the AIDS medicine that might be needed. So what we do is we don't just raise awareness but we give people the opportunity to partner with us to be able to sew into these um, safe houses around the world that are doing the work out there on the ground. What is really astounding to me is that safe houses are shutting their doors from lack of finances. There is a woman in Russia right now as we sit here, her budget is $47,000 a year. She is one of two experts on the ground in Russia that had to close her doors from lack of finances. We cannot afford to lose a house or a shelter or or somewhere that these children and young women can find restoration. For somebody that might be being used, that is being prostituted, you are not a prostitute. Christ sees you as whole, as lovely. Reach out to him. Call upon him. Call upon the name of Jesus and ask him to help you. Ask him to fill your heart, even in the midst of what you might be going through, with his love, with, with renewing your mind and and sowing um. The the things that you need into your life, even in the midst of what you are, um, to, to see him as who he is, as your salvation through this. And know that um, he is there to hear your cries and hear your prayers, even when others don't see you. All
1: right, that was Colette, her website, Free for Life International. At this conference, I was trying to find out who to support and and who to really promote, and her stuff was was right at the top of the list. She really does a great uh, job. Some of the other notable uh, things were um, Mercy Ministries. It's a sort of halfway house for girls that both Colette, as you saw there towards the end, and Mercy Ministries are really just very Jesus-centered people. I mean, they're like, if this is going to get fixed, it's going to be Jesus that does it. And that's sort of the thing. And they're really, really passionate about it. You can just really tell that's sort of the focus of their their ministry there. Um, and so those were two of the ones that really stood out. The, the It was interesting because the conference was sort of a majority of sort of, you know, Christians, mm-hmm. you know, real Christian folks. And then... Also, the radical feminists, and so the solutions to the ideas were kind of, uh, you know, different views. But I think that there's all kinds of views that really need to be addressed in order, to, because there's so many different ways to to solve this problem. One of the ways is through legislation. The biggest thing I think there is to have. Uh, prostitutes in no way, shape, or form should be considered the criminal if they're under 18. And unfortunately, that's the case, is that they're getting sent to jail. They're untrustworthy of uh, cops and everybody else. The law should be completely changed to, to have them obviously be the victim. It doesn't matter why they're in prostitution. If they're under the age of 18, they're considered a sex trafficking victim. As Colette said that was a uh, a national law that's been passed recently, but there are a lot of things like that legislation that uh s- states have yet to recognize and and a lot of individual things that need to be done with that but the other thing that I was interested in is who locally to support because the biggest thing that shows up is that there's not enough places for these people as as uh, she also said there we can't afford to lose one. Place One bed, not just internationally, but domestically. There's not a lot of those places right out of jail. Uh, That's what they need. They need a safe place to go from the pimps, from everybody else, from jail to the safe houses. And locally, it is very, very difficult to find a lot of places doing that. I, I networked with a woman there who I found was working with the Davidson County Sheriff's Department, and she was head of the division of that transitional thing. And she was a just really great, sold-out believer. And she gave me the impression that the sheriff uh, was really, really behind it. And I didn't, under, I didn't quite understand if she meant that he was a Christian or not, but she certainly was, and that was her, uh, her ministry. And m- most of what they need is just the basics: food, clothing. Because when they leave those situations, there's really nothing for them, uh, uh out there. So, check into that if you feel led to, to support in some way. You can check out Colette's uh, site, Free for Life International. That's, I, I think, a good one to promote because it does have, uh, you know, a lot of people can get behind that from an international perspective. One other thing that I wanted to mention on that conference was the, the kind of Russ Dizdar connection, right? Because, uh, if you know much about Russ's stuff and what he, what he does, um, There is this whole other situation that really, it it got mentioned at the conference, but not overtly, sort of in a sense that you had to know what you were looking for in order to see it, because I think that there's another wider thing going on uh, underneath the surface that's probably a lot more uh, secretive and not necessarily really connected to a lot of the, the, the pimp culture and stuff like that, and that is the kind of high-level child pornography uh rings and stuff like that. Russ often talks about how um, you know, kids are 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 used and and, and videos and pictures and all kinds of stuff are, are taken of these people and they are involved in a lot of different things, but the trauma is there. There is oftentimes multiplicity, that is dissociative identity disorder and things where they don't remember it. Uh and you know i'm not going to explain too much i think that if you you either know it or you don't but but one of the issues is that during the conference one of the testimonies was very very similar to that it was a girl who i don't i don't believe was healed uh very much uh, when she told her testimony you could tell that she was still very much uh broken on the inside she was saying that she she wasn't due to you know things like meditation and stuff like that but it was clear there was a lot of Stuff there but what what her story was was that um she you know had a normal life you know she was married, she was a, a doctor at Vanderbilt type thing or doing research at Vanderbilt uh and all this stuff, and she was struggling with a lot of just depression and really really heavy kind of uh, emotional issues, and she checked herself into a psych ward and everything. And long story short, it came out that she was having these sort of memories of her childhood. She remembered her childhood basically as, you know, middle class, upper middle class family, if not sort of higher, well-to-do family, parents were well-known in the community kind of thing. And, you know, nothing special, nothing bad, nothing nothing great, um, but nothing bad necessarily. And it started to come out in her memories, that she had been abused by her father and that her father, uh, there was a lot of money changed hands. Men would come over to the house. There was a lot, a lot of pictures being taken, a lot of uh, basically what is described all the time by, by Russ. And all the stuff started coming out. She started dealing with it and dealing with it as best she can through the means that she that she used. But what hit me about that was a few different things and i could be wrong i'd actually like to interview russ about this more there's another individual that i know that i think has a similar situation in which i have long suspected there was um something like this in their past they don't remember any abuse but that's it's very very probable that there was and anyway i don't want to go into the details of that but what i'm trying to say here is that that this idea of not remembering anything about it in your childhood till this lady was 30 some odd years old before any of it started surfacing it, surfacing. And the question is, is that regular dissociation or is that sort of intentional dissociation? And I would submit that there's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, obviously what she described was a network. There was money changing hands. She described her parents as well to do this was obviously being used for child pornography and some the pictures were being taken and those kind of things. So there, somebody was selling that stuff at a pretty high level, even if maybe her parents were, uh, you know, her mother wasn't involved or whatever, but her dad, um, and I guess what I'm saying is trauma will cause you to d- dissociate. If you're having traumatic experiences as you're, uh, when you're a child and something like that, sexual abuse or whatever, it's very common to dissociate a little bit. That is that you sort of create your own kind of dissociation or multiple personality. Those are naturally created in a sense to sort of, in in a sense that that personality retains all of the memories of the bad stuff and the, the, the upfront personality doesn't have any memory of that. Now the question is, was her father, um, a handler in any way did he program uh any of this stuff in there or did he help it along and the answer is obviously i don't know but but i think that there is a sense in which somebody doesn't have to be a completely controlled multiple but but in a sense that there are probably techniques and things that are taught and understood uh about dissociation at that level and things to keep it buried. And I would think that there's probably a lot more people dealing with this sort of thing than than are or is commonly known. Now, Russ gives a number of 5 million people that are in psych wards right now that are having memories of dissociative stuff when they are children now a lot of the stuff that they're referring to is stuff like satanic ritual abuse which is a really common thing an interesting uh, thing too is that there was another testimony from a lady who also wasn't healed and and in my opinion there was still seemed to be a lot of brokenness there but she uh she didn't go into a lot of detail about all the stuff but she mentioned ritual abuse that she was in a different country and it was all in the context of well it was this you know tribal kind of thing but she described essentially satanic uh, rituals and stuff like that but it was a really minor part of this and anyway that was um uh, her father also was involved in the uh the abuse there and the 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 trafficking of her out so what I'm trying to say here is that the connections to the stuff that Russ talks about is is everywhere. And I think that sometimes I forget how big of an issue this is. Um, but it was interesting in a conference about sex trafficking in America, how, how it was coming up in people's interviews, but how nobody really mentioned that. Because I think that is a, a, an impor- important thing. And I bet Russ is knows who... Uh, knows how who to support about this kind of thing. I, I think supporting Russ Dizdar is a great way uh to to um, get the most out of your spiritual dollar. <laughs> I think that Russ does a lot of great work. I know he, he's a really busy guy, and, but he bears a lot of fruit with what he does, and, and he uh, provides a lot of information. So I definitely would encourage uh, the support of Russ Dizdar, if, if for no other reason about the information that he puts out. I think that's a real biblical principle, you know, uh, if somebody's, if that's where you're getting a lot of information, that's where you should support. But at the same time, as a mercy ministry, he's also somebody that does a lot of good for stuff that most people, even on the cutting edge of this stuff, don't even know exists. So anyway, plug for us there and moving on. Okay, moving on. Just got a lot of stuff going on this uh, episode. One thing I wanted to quickly do was give an update on Victor. A lot of people have been emailing and, and things about Victor's story that uh, we played on the show here not too long ago. So I want to give a few updates on that. One thing in particular that he wanted to share, which was that Keith, the truck driver in the story, um, has gone back to driving a truck as of recently. So that is a pretty important and, and good update for that um, for that test, testimony. Uh, so I'm just going to read some of the things that he, he sent here recently. One of them, he was letting me know that I could give out his email address to anybody that was touched by a story, wanted to, to know more, ask questions or whatever. So get a pen and paper if you want to email Vic. I will give you his email, which is Vic, V-I-C, underscore, Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A, at msn.com. Vic, underscore, Andrea, at msn.com. Okay so here are some of the things he wrote he said uh, I connected on Facebook with a girl that I hadn't spoken to in 20 years she adopted and we try we tried and failed to after the conversation I asked God put him on trial he says why had he go- had us go through the adoption process what was the purpose god spoke to my heart quote the way you treat widows and orphans says a lot about your relationship with me end quote okay god Five minutes later, the phone rings, and it's foster care. and has a 16-month-old boy for us, and they'll be over uh, in two hours. In the meantime, I started listening to your love podcast, having no idea what it about, except love, and it was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. My faith built your faith, which built my faith. Your cancer patient story really resonated with me. My flesh was saying, this will be hard. We can't serve uh, uh, someone else. 24 hours later I'm praising God for the opportunity. Like you said, when you make yourself available, get ready, he'll catch you, he'll call you on it. Praise God, he always knows best. And another time he writes back and says a few months back when I felt called to start doing meals on wheels again, I had a ton of excuses but just did it. There I met a widow who who had nobody in her life. She had been assaulted and robbed several times, so I helped her get a new place. Yesterday me and my posse moved uh, her into her new apartment. Some of the guys even donated items and money. She was floored. She said she didn't know people like us existed. This would have never happened unless I started the ball rolling on the, on the small act of obedience like de- delivering the meals on wheels once a week. As for the homeless thing, uh, quote, Under the Overpass is a great book by Mike Jankoski. If you've never read it, uh, the thing that I've learned is to give money, but by meals or bring meals sit down and talk to them hardly anyone does that uh let alone making eye contact with them and then finally he writes about keith the truck driver and says you can tell them that keith uh the truck driver has now just returned to driving a truck again praise god after getting into foster care i can see why the world doesn't do it and why and and why more in the church really need to do it it's hard but rewarding so uh so is serving the lord who wants easy he says so there is a really great update from victor if you haven't heard victor's story check it out just type in victor's story nowhere to run or something like that you will find it okay now two topics that i wanted to talk about this show is probably going to go well over an hour here but i wanted to talk about marriage and then talk about depression so marriage let's start with that one first uh, I think that I'm qualified to talk about marriage now, as I've been married almost a year, and makes me an expert, and know everything that there is to know about it, so here we go. Okay, I'm being facetious there, in case anybody wasn't uh, catching that one, but but yeah, so let's talk about marriage. Um, I was thinking about marriage yesterday, and trying to think about uh, just a lot of different aspects of it, and wanted to know more about it, and I just flip to the one passage that I know speaks a lot about marriage, which is in Ephesians chapter 5. So let me just read Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. It says, um, Therefore do not be unwise, uh, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, Thunder in the background there. Um, Giving thanks always for the things... Uh, For all things, to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head uh, of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Uh, He who uh, who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, uh, of his flesh, and of his bones." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. So this is an interesting passage, and uh, um, what's interesting about it I is I think it, it it is Ephesians 5.32. And this is a great, great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, uh, this is also about physical lives here. Um, It's a great way for us to learn not just about the dynamics of Christ's love for the church, but it's also a way for us to learn about marriage. So in this passage, we're learning really two things are being discovered in this uh, so-called mystery there. And and so let's talk a little bit about it. Yes, I know there's a lot of contention, you know, the submission thing, you know, and all that stuff. If you're tripped up by that, don't be, please don't be. It's not... It's not. Uh, I know a lot of people certainly take that out of context and use it for all kinds of all reasons, but the biblical. Um, the biblical thing is, is very, very natural and good. And what you should also take notice of is maybe there was one or two verses about that, but it's like 10, 12 verses here of telling the wife, the husbands, rather, to how to love their wives. And it's so intense of a love that he goes into great detail about it. He's like, no, no, you don't get it. And what's interesting, too, is that the type of love that's being drilled into the husband's head here that he needs to love his wife is uh, agape love and that's there's lots of different words for love in the Greek there's phylos you know which is brotherly love or deep friendship love the highest available love that one can have for another person in the world kind of thing well there, there's also another word that, that that's commonly used for as familial love uh, the kind of love that parents have for their children and that kind of thing and then there's eros or sort of uh, r- romantic if you will, love, sort of all the butterflies and that kind of um, thing going on there. And, and and Paul is essentially assuming that some of those are already present. He says, okay, yeah, he, he doesn't even mention that. What he mentions is agape. Agape is something that is completely about doing. Agape, Agape. Is, if you're reading this in the Greek, you would get a different impression of what he's telling you to do here. He's telling you to agape uh, her, to to be Definitely engaged in the loving, not just feeling good thoughts or whatever in your heart. No, no, this is action. This is this is getting off your butt and loving. <laughs> okay, so there was a few things that struck me about this passage, and um, and by the way, it, again, if you if you're tripped up on that whole situation with the submission, one of the best places I've ever seen to really describe all this is in David Guzik's. Uh, um, um, series on marriage where all he did was really go through these these verses in Ephesians 5 and he describes this submission thing so so well it would be hard for somebody to listen to that and be like well okay I, I don't agree with that <laughs> because but it's 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 really done well check it out you can go to David Guzik's website which is enduring word go to his commentary at the very bottom there is a section on marriage I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes but probably won't Anyway, so the two things that I uh, I thought about while while trying to read this and thinking about it and meditating on it, what is it that, that you're trying to say, you know, about this? What what can I learn from this about marriage and, and make my marriage better? And the questions that then became important to answer were well, it goes to all this trouble to say love her like you love yourself. Um, and it says all this stuff about that and describes Husbands ought to love their own wives as the as the uh, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, uh, just as the Lord does the church. So there's another dyma- dynamic to this. Uh, for we are members of His body and flesh. Okay. So how do I love myself is a question, and then then how do I transcend so that? That's part of it. What are the re- ways that I love myself? It says here nourish. And cherish it i suppose that that is true i mean i do um stay alive uh, i want to eat and cherish it i might even go further than other people too i want vitamins and things i'd like to be semi-healthy i can't say i'm all that healthy but you know whatever I'm, I'm trying to not get cancer and stuff and trying to avoid certain uh things obviously fluoride and the vaccines and the whole thing there aspartame all that stuff but 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 what else, what, and what does that mean for her? How can I be concerned for her health? Um, looks like a pretty gnarly storm's blowing through here, so that's what's going on right now. If uh, you're wondering, um, so that's one thing. I could I I love myself by nourishing in, in myself. That's that's one thing I can do for her, and I, and I guess what this is all going to make sense a little later. Well, it made sense to me after I did this. I had no idea what it was going to look like. But later on, when I was trying to put it into practice, it was interesting that, um, it wasn't like I, in this particular one, I would like, here, Connie, I made you some, some healthy breakfast or whatever. But it may have to do with, with that. The whole idea is your heart level concern for her and her body, like you, cons- like it's you, like it's you, like this whole mystery that says, uh, in Ephesians 5.30, for we are, member, uh, we're, uh, where does it say, um, this is a great mystery to do. They shall be joined to his wife and two, the two shall become one flesh. You need to be concerned for her health and nourishing it uh, in a, as if it was your body because you are one flesh. Okay, that's the kind of heart level thing. So moving on, what other ways do I love myself and what do I do? Um, you know, there's a lot of different things in the doing, the agape, that I think Really, I feel if you haven't read or listened to the audiobook of the five love languages, you need to go ahead and do that. And I know it sounds so dumb and and so mainstream or whatever, but you really do. It's brilliant and genius and it's important. Um, I'm not going to go through what the five love languages are, but... Uh, it really does make a difference. That's how certain people understand love. Certain people, if you, you know, you might think you're helping them by giving them, telling them that you love them all the time, but that, and that might be good for them, but that's not how that they really feel loved. Certain people, if you, if, by, by words and telling them, that's how they feel loved, and that is, uh, going to always make them feel like they're being loved. Uh, my wife is, is, her her thing is really acts of uh, of service like she really feels like i love her when i'm doing stuff like doing the dishes or vacuuming or those kinds of things so for me i can when when i agape her in that sense i need to do those things whatever that thing in the five love languages is that's one way to do love find out what her love language is and do it if you haven't bought it or you can find it online i'm sure um Another thing, what do I do? I pray for for myself. I pray for the needs that I have in all kinds of various aspects. Um, you can pray for her. That's one thing that you need to do seriously if you're not doing it. Let me interject here and say that that if you, this is not simply something that you do if you feel like you're in the doghouse or whatever. In fact, I would say this is what you do when you feel justified or or whatever. If she's not in a good place spiritually or emotionally or she's, you know, whatever. This is, instead of going the other direction, this is what you need to do. You need to run in there and and you do your job. If you really are the head of the situation, you know, and it's really dependent upon you uh, in the same way that the church is dependent upon Christ. I mean, what would the church do without Christ leading it and guiding it? If her, if her, whatever she's in or whatever she's involved in, don't abandon her. If you're the head of this situation, you need to do your part in order to fix that. So this isn't something that you do when you just feel like you've messed up and you're in the doghouse and she's doing things right. This is especially important when she is the one that is, you know, uh, in need or whatever. So anyway, so pray, pray for her. That's so important. And we're going to see that in the next half of this too. Um another thing ways that I love myself is uh you know I try to you know comfortable stuff and and well rested and and so you can do stuff again the same concept is that how that looks is you're you're worried about her state of comfort and well resting because it's like as if it was you you, you're like, are you are you comfortable? You know, like it was your body, you know. And one of the ways that that can function is by doing some of the things that's on her plate so she can rest. Maybe you can do some things for her or maybe you can be concerned about it in some tangible way like that. Um, educate. What I, Another way that I love myself is that I educate myself spiritually. Um, I'm I'm looking for new stuff and, and trying to do that kind of stuff and that's so important to do for her. If... You're you're as it says as we're going to look a little later, and it says um, uh, that husbands love your wives, just as so Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. This is important as as our spiritual head to to really to help with the sanctification process, to start a Bible study, to to read through the Bible, even if you're just reading through. A chapter or two a night, and you don't really even discuss it, but just just read through it, or or like you know we've talked about send emails or uh, or texts or these kinds of things, um, and then finally um, enjoy things. I do things, you know. Uh, actually, Connie Connie mentioned this one. I didn't. She's like, "What do you do uh, to enjoy yourself?" And I was like, "Because she was genuinely like, I don't think you actually have any." things that you do for, seem like fun things to her but uh, they, they're fun to me all doing all this stuff and you know answering emails and trying to trying to do new projects and stuff that's fun to me although it doesn't necessarily look like it but it is um, anyway so but I don't want you to give the impression that I'm always doing that stuff necessarily I do do a lot of stuff because I know that she wants to do it and I enjoy it. It's not like I hate it or anything, but we do all kinds of stuff and, and things that are fun because um, I know that she finds other things fun, so that's what we that's what we do, some stuff like that. Um, okay, and the other part of this equation that I was wrestling with as, as I was reading this text is in what way is Christ the head of the church? What jobs does he have as head of the church? Because that's something you really need to understand if you're going to apply this passage. Um, Okay, if if there's a similar relationship, if we can learn about our marriage by learning about how we love ourselves, and we can learn about our marriage by learning how Christ loved the church, then that's a question we need to ask. So, how does Christ love the church? Ephesians five twenty three. Um, I'll I'll stop this here, and I'm going to read a few quotes. This one is from Charles Spurgeon. I know I'm quoting a lot of Spurgeon, and like did in that video too, but uh, it's a really good quote. It says. It is possible that some husbands might say, How can I love such a wife as I have? It might be a supposable case that some Christian was unequally yoked together with an unbeliever and found himself forever bound with a fetter to one possessed or morose disposition of a froward temper or bitter spirit. He might therefore say, Surely I am excused from loving in such a case as this. It cannot be expected that I should love that which is in itself so unlovely. But Mark beloved the wisdom of the apostle. He silences that excuse which may possibly have occurred to his mind while writing the passage by taking the example of the Savior, who loved not because there was loveliness in the church, but in order to make her lovely. Another way in which Christ, um, what what he does, part of his function for the church, is that he gave himself for it. Now, a lot of these things Obviously, there's no sense in which we can give ourselves for our wives in the same way that Christ gave himself for the church, but the principle is still there, the sacrificial love for your wife and the giving yourself in the myriad of different ways that that manifests Um, Another example here that it says in Ephesians 26 and 27 is uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church and having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. Uh, David Guzik has a few different things to say about this. He says, uh, "When Jesus gave Himself for the church on the cross, it also provided cleansing from every stain sin makes. Since the work of Jesus on the cross comes to us through the Word of God and the preached word, and the preached word, it can be said that we are washed of the water by the Word." And he clarifies this in regard to marriage when he says, "This speaks of Jesus's work on the cross." Obviously a husband cannot spiritually cleanse his wife in the same way that Jesus cleanses the church. yet husbands can take an active and caring interest in his wife's spiritual health um, and this is I think part of this the sanctification process. It, it, if your wife is um, you know super super spiritual and, and she's way beyond you, that's awesome. I, I, I think that that's that's great. Uh, but if you know it, it's part of your job um, biblically speaking, to help uh, her, I mean, it's not the pastor's job, it's not anybody else's job, it's you should be taking a keen interest. And I don't mean that you need to beat her over the head with the Bible or do anything or or, or force anything. If you need to be subtle, that's what you need to be. You know your wife better than anybody else. You know that what she's going to accept and reject and how the best way to do it, the best, best method to do it. You, it's it's your job to even if it's just by living by example, which takes us to another thing in in, in the way that Jesus, uh, what he, what his job is and what the way that he's the head over the church. He was also the head in the sense that he led a uh, sinless life. He he led an example in the sense of his prayer life and how he treated people. He was an example of how we should live, and so in that sense also. As head of the family, as head, you need to also be that example. If you've got sin in your life, you need to get after it like it was uh, a a wartime situation. You need to go into it like a battle, like you are a sin assassin. And you need to step by step clear out the leaven in your house. And uh, the Lord will help you with that. If you turn around from it and you just make a stand, put a stake in the sand and say, no more, no more excuses, I'm going to fix this situation, then you do that. Because you know what? That sin will cause you to, to um, uh, you know, it will mess up your prayer life with the Lord. First Peter, I think it's first Peter that talks about um, how our prayer lives uh, are messed up if you don't treat your wife right. Because your wife is kind of like the daughter of the king, okay? And if you're, if you're not treating the daughter of the king right, he's going to be like, okay, you know, you've got to straighten that situation out before you. Uh, before we uh, can, can talk about this kind of thing. There's really good audio about that. I'll pro- probably play on the RN weekly at some point soon. Um, and so so that's one example. He, he he is the example of how we should live, and that's how we can also be for our wives. Also, that he intercedes. Obviously, uh, we, we read that in several places, that Christ is an inter- intercessor. Christ prays for us, um, to the Father, he, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, and that is what we also need to be for our wives. Obviously, she has an advocate in Christ too, but this is important that we have um, help in the in the interceding process. That we pray for, her, just pray for. Her. If she needs, she needs to be uh, have equal or more time in prayer than you praying for yourself. Even if she's the only thing that you pray for all day, even if prayer's not. You know, you're still getting worked on about prayer or whatever. Start with praying for your wife, if nothing else. Um, And then, of course, uh, try to expand that sooner uh, than later. And then, uh, finally, he guides the direction of a church. A good church is a bunch of guys uh, reading the Word, trying to find out what it says, and praying to the Lord that the, the Lord, as head of the church, will guide the church. They want to know what the Lord wants to do with the church. That's how... A good local body of believers should operate. A good church government is we don't have a a leader necessarily. Our leader is Christ. We're going to go figure out what he wants to do. And so in that sense, he is guiding the direction of an individual church uh, fellowship and the church as a whole. Uh, and he's protecting it. And he, and I think that all those things are, or we could take this and find the many different things that Jesus does for the church. This is not by any means an exhaustive study. It's just something that, some notes that I jotted down about it. But in that way also, I think you should direct the, the, uh, not in some kind of dictator, I don't mean that at all I, I just as far as what we're going to do and I don't even, just take that stuff completely out think of this more in the spiritual direction of stuff and you need to be a, a leader and um I that doesn't mean that you have some sort of um you know it's not weird it's not anything it's just you being a leader and if you don't know how to be a leader then learn how to be a leader there's a great uh, great guy that did a study on leadership um Basically, by doing a study of Nehemiah and of Moses. And he's this guy that did all this, uh, did all this ministering to the Dallas Cowboys. Gosh, I can't remember what his name was. If somebody knows what it is, put it in the show notes in the comment section of this episode, 615-2011, or maybe even a a link to it. I think I, I listened to it somewhere on the, uh, 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 iTunes U stuff. Anyways, so check that out. And I guess that's it. So wives um, are important, and you need to love them in doing of it. And, and like I said, when I we did the study and, and tried to, like, okay, well, what do I do now? It became pretty interesting about the things that I – it was mainly wrapped up in one idea was, um, I'm going to actively try to discover and take care of her as if it was – me, like, um, you know, uh, uh, and I think that that sort of makes sense in the practice of it. Although it's it's somehow hard, it's sometimes hard to sort of know exactly what this looks like in practice. But I think that as you just sort of walk it out, it does start to to make sense. So that's that. One other topic that I wanted to talk about is depression. And um, depression is, i mentioned basically everything I'm going to mention here before, but depression is something that, in the past when i've experienced it i just thought oh well depression is interesting in that you can pray for it to go and it doesn't go you know hey lord what's up with that i guess i'm just depressed for some reason and i tell this story about how um in this this particular issue i i'd prayed and nothing you know nothing happened i was still depressed and um I remembered well it was kind of a twofold thing my wife had sent something uh it was basically ephesians six twelve. we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities um against uh against powers against the rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places and i realized okay well i'm sure at least part of this is spiritual it most of it, whatever, some percentage of it may have to do with whatever situation that was causing it, It maybe, you know, my circumstances, whatever it was at the time. But being capitalized on this is certainly something spiritual, and it's something I can do at least of that part of it. And so that having that sort of hit me, and then in addition to that, remembering this thing that Russ Dizdard said one time when he was a pastor at a church and somebody was doing... Um, uh, a Satanist was there, sort of undercover, did a, a ritual and a curse on him that they believed would kill him, um, and they actually went around, parked outside his house, because they thought he was going to die, and I guess they were continuing to do rituals on it. And it took him like a day to realize that it wasn't a physical sickness that was bothering him, but a spiritual situation was happening. And he said as soon as he realized that it was a spiritual thing and not a physical thing, he... As he said, he went upstairs to pray it off. And then he came downstairs and it was okay. And it was that whole wondering about what that was like up there praying it off that really made me think, I don't think I was praying like that. I think that whatever he was doing to pray off that curse was probably more than me throwing up a few prayers to to God. God, please take away this depression. Thank you, Chris. Um, And so that's what I did. I was like, okay, I'm going to go pray this off. And I was quoting Scripture, Revelation 21, 22, say, telling Satan, you know, he's over, you know. It's, uh, it's it's, over before he started and telling the demons, you know, go to the abyss and all this stuff. Just stomping around and quoting Scripture and, and, and all this stuff. And lo and behold, it went away. Now, that worked for that one. I'm not sure if it will work in every case, but I do know that you should try. <laughs> you should at least try. And I'm sure there's lots of books about Christian biblical ways to beat depression or whatever. And other than prayer, I think that the bit, one of the most undersold cures for depression in the Bible is in Isaiah 58. I read this in, I think, the last podcast or the podcast before, but I think I'm going to read it again. The first five verses of this uh, chapter are talking about sort of false fasting and false, you know, wailing and sackcloth and ashes and how that's really not acceptable to the Lord. I mean, if if your heart's in the right place, but there's a lot of, was apparently a lot of that sort of false religion going on. But he starts in verse 6 and saying, Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? So he starts off by saying, you know, the fast that I've chosen is for you go out and, and find those that are in bonds and, and loose them and to undo heavy burdens from people, and to let the oppressed go free and, 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 and break every yoke. And then he says in the next verse, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring your house uh, the poor bring in your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover them, and you hide and you not hide yourself from your own flesh. So he's saying, you know, take care of the, the needy, the hungry, the poor, the cast out. That's the fast that he says he desires. And then he, then he has a bunch of promises for this. He says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then, again, lots of promises, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail." Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. So, I think Isaiah 58 there has um, a cure for depression, and it's essentially doing the will of God, um, which is to take care of the needy and the broken and the brokenhearted and the, the afflicted and these people that are down and out. The Bible is about those people. And... You know, a lot of people are, including us, me and my wife, are waiting for some lightning bolt, some 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 banner in the sky that says, "Here is your ministry. Go out and do it." I've already set up a thing for you, and if you go find this, you'll find somebody at the corner of certain certain sort of street, and you know, have it just all laid out for you. But it's not that way. You've got a biblical mandate. He's like, "What do you want?" I wrote an entire Bible saying what I want you to do. You don't need to know who specifically to, to do, to do this too. You just need to go do it. Um, you need to start with that person that's right in front of you and then move to the person that's next. It's a day by day thing. It's a, it's asking him directly what he wants you to do, but it's also just doing it anyway. And I think that in the midst of you just doing the will of God, then this stuff starts to kick in because he made all these promises. You know, it's kind of like, uh, Abraham, uh, like, look, God, you, you made all these promises, not me. And, That's the situation there. He made all these promises. If you want to enjoy them, if you want to be, you know, the beneficiaries of them, then start doing it. You don't need you don't need a a lights in the sky or a marquee telling you where you need to be specifically. So anyway, on a recap here, Um, check out the Bible video that's on the front page. Go download Daniel's testimony. uh, Also in the show notes. Check out the conference, visit Colette's uh, site stuff there. Uh, Also, marriage, depression, and what was the other thing I wanted to remind people about? Oh, yeah, the Christianity 101 DVD. If you're a new believer or an old believer, whatever, whoever, if you want one of these DVDs, please go to the website, click the banner, and um, just fill out that form, and I'll send you one right out. Thanks for everything. Thanks for your support. It really means a lot to me, and it keeps the wheels turning over here. So uh, thanks, and I'll talk to you all later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry.